This is the Lord of the Rings podcast on TV Podcast Industries, and we're talking about The Rings of Power, Episode 1, A Shadow of the Past, and Episode 2, Adrift. We exceeded our orders months ago. Surely we must first return home to take counsel with the High King. I promise you there is not a soul amongst our company who yearns for home more than I. I can still feel the light of the trees on my face. I can still see it. And until we are certain, every trace of our enemy is vanquished. I can never return. Welcome fellow ringers, this is TV Podcast Industries and we are talking about The Rings of Power, Episode 1, A Shadow of the Past, and Episode 2, Adrift. I am one of your hosts, John. And I'm your other host for The Lord of the Rings Podcast, Derek. Excellent stuff. Yes, a big, epic, two-hour smorgasbord of (laughs) Middle-earth and Valinor. Um, Yes, I'm so excited for this show. I've been excited all year thinking about the idea that um, this amount of money is going to be put behind a TV show of one of the stories that I've loved so much. I'm, I've just been so looking forward to this. And wow, what an amount of money you can see on screen. This feels like the Peter Jackson movies brought to TV. Like that's That's amazing to me in two episodes. Yes, you really can see the money that's mm-hmm. gone into this production, uh, yeah. for, for sure. And yeah, I mean, I just really, really enjoyed, um, coming back to, uh, Middle Earth, actually, mm-hmm. and, and this feel whole it, world. Yeah, mm-hmm. you can really feel it. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I was, I really enjoyed these, uh, opening two episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, they felt epic, sweeping. Um, you know, a, a tour around um, this whole world from mm-hmm. Valinor across the Sundering Sea into Middle-earth and yeah. all the different parts of Middle-earth that at least we're seeing at the moment. Yeah. So, like we've, we've heard yeah. mention of North, South, East and West in this episode, so we are all over the map of Middle-earth as well. But if this is your first time joining us for TV Podcast Industries, just to mention, uh, we've been podcasting for about eight years now. Uh, this is our 701st episode, as far as I, I know from my count. Uh, so lots and lots of TV discussions and movie discussions over the last couple of years. And that's how we approach the shows. We're looking at this this show as the TV show itself. We're not experts on, uh, on Professor Token's uh, literature um so we may pronounce names incorrectly and that's where you come in we want to hear your thoughts about lord of the rings the rings of power we want to hear any any thoughts you have about the show about how uh, the characters are progressing any any interesting tidbits and facts that you want to share with us you can email us to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com or you can pop on over to our facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash tv podcast industries i'll put a spoiler post up every week uh, for each of the episodes for lord of the rings the rings of power where you can share any thoughts that you'd like us 
to discuss on the podcast. Yes, and if you're joining us for the first time, you can head on over to our website at tvpodcastindustries.com where you can subscribe to the podcast on any good or evil podcast player of your choice. We are on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Mm -hmm. you name it, uh, your favorite podcast player we should be there just search tv podcast industries absolutely we will be doing an in-depth discussion about the two episodes that were released on prime video um on the first day of release so if you haven't seen both of those make sure you watch both of them before we uh, before we discuss the episodes and generally again if it's your first time welcome aboard we should say that first of course welcome absolutely. to you thanks for choosing to join us uh, for these discussions what we talk about is we, we really do discuss the episodes we don't really review them we kind of stick clear of that we're really just talking about our thoughts about the episodes of Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power. Yes. Uh, But let us get into our spoiler-filled discussion of episode one and episode two of The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power. Mm -hmm. Derek, what are some of the details, the creatives behind uh, this series. Yeah, and I think it's important to begin with uh, saying that this show is based on the Lord of the Rings and the appendices by Professor J.R.R. Tolkien. Um, there's no specific narrative that they've taken from uh, from the uh, from a, a book that was specifically written by J.R.R. Tolkien. Um, it is the appendices and, and notes on characters from this particular age of men or the particular age of Middle Earth, the, the Second Age. Yes. So, uh, so there's no specific narrative that's being lifted. We can't read a specific story and, and read the start, middle, and end. There is uh, they're, they're taking uh, inspiration from the appendices from J.R.R. Tolkien. Um, the showrunners and executive producers for this show are J.D. Payne and Patrick McKay. Uh, they wrote the first episode of the series as well. They've been writing together for nearly 25 years. They've done a lot of big projects, but um, probably nothing particularly well-known. They're not, not massively well-known writers, but they are steeped in this and have worked together for a very, very long time. Excellent stuff. Mm. The first and second episode of this show is directed by J.A. Bayona, who's directed some great films, including Orphanage, which is a great horror film. Uh, he also did the brilliant disaster movie The Impossible, which starred uh, Naomi Watts, uh, Tom Holland, and Ewan McGregor. I highly recommend that. That's a really, really emotional family journey. Yes. Uh, excellently directed by J.A. Bayona. Uh, we know him here on TV Podcast Industries because he directed the first two episodes of the excellent Penny Dreadful, uh, which we covered here on TV Podcast Industries when we were doing our review ahead of uh, of the launch of uh, Penny Dreadful City of Angels. Yes, uh, really love his his style. Mm. Uh, great directing chops, uh, does J.A. Bayona. So, and very yeah. different for this epic that he's, uh, that he's on board for. Definitely, yeah. Mm. The second episode of the, of the show was written by uh, Jennifer Hutchison. Um, she was a story editor and writer on Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul as well. So, uh, so again, uh, some great dramas as well. Um, but we, as as we mentioned, we will be talking about both episodes uh, together in this in this uh, discussion. We'll be talking about uh, episode one, Shadow of the Past, and episode two, Adrift. So, John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for episode one and episode two? Sure. For episode one. The elven world of Valinor lives in peace, but a war arrives when the Dark Lord Morgoth attacks their homeland. They sail to Middle-earth to engage their foe and his forces, and after centuries of fighting, Morgoth is defeated. His cunning servant Sauron, however, remains and is tracked by the elf Finrod, who is killed and marked by Sauron. Finrod's sister Galadriel vows to continue the pursuit of Sauron. Galadriel and her company find an abandoned fortress in the northern wastelands of Thorodwaith, which bears Sauron's mark. 
but her companions insist that they return to the elven capital, Linden, where High King Gilgalad proclaims the war against Morgoth's forces to be over. He grants Galadriel a bitter gift, the honour of sailing to Valinor, where she can live a peaceful life for all eternity, as she believes work still remains to rid Middle-earth of Sauron and his evil. In the southlands of Middle-earth, elves watch over men descended from allies of Morgoth, to the disapproval of the others, the elf Arondir has developed a close relationship with the human healer Bronwyn. Together they discover that the town of Horden has been destroyed, while Bronwyn's son Theo finds a broken sword bearing Sauron's mark. Sailing westwards and close to Valinor, Galadriel chooses to turn back and continue the search for Sauron, jumping from the ship into the sundering seas. At the same time, two curious Harfoots, Nori Brandyfoot and Poppy Proudfellow, discover a strange man inside a meteor crater. Episode 2 Attempting to swim back to Middle-earth, Galadriel comes across a raft with human survivors of a shipwreck. She is rescued, but the survivors come to distrust her when she is found to be an elf. Things turn worse when the raft is attacked by the sea creature that had originally attacked the survivor's ship. Galadriel and only one of the survivors, Halbrand of the Southlands, escape the ordeal. Halbrand explains that he is fleeing from orcs, and through a storm he and Galadriel become bound together as they survive the storm. Meanwhile, Nori and Poppy keep the stranger a secret from the other Harfoots and give him food and shelter. He does not speak their language, but uses fireflies and apparent magic to indicate that he is searching for a constellation of stars that Nori does not recognise, but she knows of someone who can help. Back in the Southlands, Arondir sends Bronwyn back to her own village to warn them of the danger as he investigates the strange tunnels beneath Horden, but is captured by an unknown creature. Back at her town, Tirad, Bronwyn's warning is ignored, but back at her house, she and her son Theo are attacked by an orc emerging from the tunnels. They are able to kill it and use its head as proof of danger to convince the rest of the town to leave. In Linden, Gilgalad sends the elf Elrond to assist the great elven smith Celembribor, who is planning to build a powerful new forge. Elrond suggests they seek help from the dwarves and goes to his friend, Prince Durin IV in Kazakhdun. Durin is angry that Elrond has not visited in 20 years, but his wife Deza convinces him to hear Elrond's proposal. Yes! hugely um, all-encompassing mm-hmm. around the map. Absolutely. Um, and I did like the way they incorporated the map into the the episodes. And um, just to help with that, sort of the bearings around Middle-earth. Yeah. Really I, good. And I think as fantasy readers, I think you'll often notice that at the beginning of a book, uh, any fantasy book now, it's kind of a trope of fantasy books. You must have a map yes. of, of your lands there. Every single big writer uh, that, that writes fantasy does that. And it really comes from uh, Tolkien, part of, the, uh, part of the things that he incorporated in his original. Uh, Lord of the Rings and Hobbit was a map of the area that you're talking about so certainly when I'm reading fantasy books I always flip back to that page and go oh 
where's this taking place? Uh, yeah. What's the what's this area that they're talking about? So I like how they incorporate it in the show. I think it, I think it again stands out as something very Lord of the Ringsy. Definitely. <laughs> I mean, no fantasy book is complete without a good map. Absolutely. All maps at the front yeah. of uh, of the book. Yeah. But let us discuss these tales of Middle Earth mm-hmm. with our tale number one. Yes, yeah, absolutely. As you mentioned, this is a big epic show. We're talking about characters everywhere, some that don't interact at all. So the way we're going to cover it is we'll talk about, uh, I suppose, the four main tales that are told here, uh, and we'll talk about what happens across both episodes. Yes. Yeah, I think that's the best way to do it. So, so tale one is Galadriel and the elves. Yeah. And, I mean, just first off, the... You know, the opening of episode one uh, before the opening title, mm-hmm. uh, The Rings of Power, is, I mean, for me, is just simply amazing. It, I really felt um, like it retained the opening of uh, The Fellowship of the Ring by, mm. by Peter Jackson to yeah. me. Yeah. It, it There was intimacy in it and then became epic you know yeah yep. really really good and I, I just really enjoyed it uh just kind of gobsmacked uh, and blown away by it yeah and i also like that you started with the innocence of the elves you start with galadriel building a boat with her with the other kids that are around i like that there was a bit of uh, that innocent start which is similar to what you saw in hobbit in the, in the beginning of the fellowship of the ring you know it's it's the they aren't starting off with a massive battle but they go into it very quickly yes yeah. I, well it, it's that notion that valina is this you Utopia, this peaceful haven um, where there is light and good. Mm -hmm. Um, So that is then contrasted with the attack on their main city of Valinor and their two huge trees Mm -hmm. um, that they protect and are are their source of light um, by the Dark Lord Morgoth um, who who infects the the tree Mm -hmm. and this causes and begins a a centuries old epic war against uh, Morgoth between his forces and the elven forces Uh, but over in Middle Earth where it seems Morgoth uh, rains mm-hmm. so it's, it it that was kind of interesting this sundering sea is, is almost like that wall um that barrier between good and evil yeah uh, so really uh, enjoyed this but just it extracts its toll on the elven race but also on middle earth mm. which is effectively uh, consumed by the, the the war and is you know pretty much changed forever mm. with the destruction and death that uh, comes with this war. Yeah, yeah, I really like that that line from uh, Gladriel where she's saying, uh, "We never had an Elvish word for death, but after the centuries' war, we learned many words yeah. for death." I thought that was a really good indication of how, of how much this has changed their society. Again, this becomes the quest of Gladriel. You know that the the, uh, the element that's taken here is that Finrod, her brother joins the joins the forces of the elves and his mission is to go after the servant of Morgoth Sauron but he dies in that mission and that becomes um Galadriel's new quest once yeah. he's dead she takes up this quest that he has he has decided on I thought that was a great setup well, for why Galadriel is so uh, different from the other elves she has this kind of mission connected to family and loss yes exactly and i mean this is you know very soon we get the reference to um, Sauron, who seemingly has outlived uh, the defeated 
uh, Morgoth. Uh, and I, I love the description that he is or, or was Morgoth's most devoted servant, uh, but was both evil and cunning, you know, in terms of his methods and how he how he applied himself. Mm-hmm. And, and we, we get this first mention here, but ultimately, yes, again, he is being tracked by Galadriel here yeah, yeah. Uh, at the start into the northern wastes uh, with her company of soldiers mm-hmm. uh, and, and get to kind of following Sauron's mark or sigil, yeah. um, which was, as you say, was left on her brother Finrod after um, being killed by Sauron, as I understand. But it could ultimately have been an, an orc yeah. leaving the sigil as well. Yeah, I don't think Gladriel knows for definite that, that's, uh, that he reached Sauron. It seems like in his quest for Sauron, he was killed. So yeah. not a definite guarantee that he ever actually uh, confronted Sauron. Um have to give a, a, a comment here, particularly about uh, Morfid Clark's performance as Gladriel. This first episode really does hinge on her, you know, and, and remember she's stepping into the shoes of an actress like Kate Blanchett, who was so um, instructive in setting up the Lord of the Rings epic movies. So she's stepping into those shoes and quite a difficult task to do as, as, as a young actor um, like Morfid Clark is. But I think the the episode does really hinge on understanding that she feels this passionate um, belief in what she's doing and belief in following this quest. And this first episode is really hinged on her performance. There's lots of other uh, stories to talk through and we will, but I think if, if from that opening moment, if you didn't believe that she was playing Galadriel, who we've met before, then I think the episode could have fallen apart in those first 15 minutes. So Absolutely. And she's done such a great job. I mean, she's solely dedicated on, on this, uh, quest mm. to track and defeat Sauron. Yeah. Uh, and I just really enjoy that because, I mean, it, it contrasts ultimately at um, Forard Waith, um, the castle, yeah. with her company. Oh, um, and climb up the side oh, of the I mountain loved it. in the snow. The ice climb. Absolutely yeah. amazing. I really, love really that. Good. You know, it, it cuts to one of the other elves of her party, uh, Thondir, who um, seems to not really be happy with following Commander Gladriel. Um, but I love that he climbs up and he's like covered in ice on his face and breathing really heavily and then looks up again and Gladriel has already moved on to the next yeah. level of the mountain. Exactly. Uh, and then we get our first big battle. Um, this is... Definitely much more taken from Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings. There's always been cool battle moments. And here we have in the surrounds of this uh, of this castle in Faradwaith, we have the snow troll who's watching on in the background. Love that little moment where you just see his hands move yes. as yeah, they're walking yeah. through. Uh, they've they've discovered that the Marcus Sauron is here and that, that is leading Galadriel on the next path of her quest. But there is a battle here between the elven uh, group, the elven company versus the snow troll, which is really exciting and really interesting yeah it, we it, don't know so many of the characters so you can assume that a couple of them are going to get killed here that's why it feels even more um impactful to yes. have this battle here at the start yeah exactly i mean sauron's um it, it's almost like a distorted disfigured trident um, yes. really that the it is the mark of, of sauron mm. i think the other really interesting thing here was as they come in and um, there are orcs that seem to be melded into the 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 brickwork mm. of this fortress, and they talk about um, 
the dark sorcery of old that the the orcs have been meddling with uh, and specifically say meddling with the powers of the unseen world mm-hmm. which i thought was really interesting because you know with the lord of the rings with peter jackson whether it's with the wraiths mm-hmm. that are kind of almost between different worlds but even with sauron you know is that where he goes is that's what that's where his energy his 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 entity his soul his being uh, after he's defeated that you know goes there through the magic of the rings mm. into this power of and um, the unseen world that he utilizes that so really really interesting this this notion that these dark forces the forces of evil are meddling uh, at, you know, experimenting in yeah. effect with other magics, the, with yeah. other dark sorcery, mm-hmm. um, and so really, really interesting. Yeah. Uh, really enjoyed that. I yeah. think um, as well, what you suddenly find with Galadriel as well is just her dedication to this cause um, is at odds not only with her company, yeah. but with in a sense, the wider elven um, population, yeah. and in particular, the the high elven king, Gil-galad. Yeah, like um, we hear that with, you know? from the challenge from, from Thondir saying, you know, she's asking to go further, deeper into the north, and you see how much struggle it was just to get here, and Thondir's saying, no, no, we now take this information back to the king and seek his counsel. So uh, part of the reason why they lay down their swords and force uh, Galadriel to go back um, but after that battle with the snow troll, just want to call out the amazing move that she does yes. where uh, Thondir throws his sword behind him. She runs up the sword like a ram, like a ram, exactly, and uh, lands the killing blow on the uh, on the uh, this snow troll, which is it's just cool. It's similar to the kind of moves that we would have seen Legolas do uh, in the Lord of the Rings yes. movies. So uh, there, I think Peter Jackson always mentioned there was always one per movie that he gave uh, for Orlando Bloom that uh, the time to show how great fighters the elves are, even though that's not their standard position, they are naturally much more caring people but when involved in battle they can fight yes. and so a, a great moment for for gladriel there um but yes let's head to Lund- linden yes I, i'm gonna call that london i know absolutely the series uh back yeah. to the southlands uh away from the north um, the the cease of the uh of the king gilgalad yeah absolutely i mean i i think as i say it, it's it's the notion that you know the 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 powers that be in this elven society ultimately believe the war is is over mm. they have won and it's the end because it, a lot of time has passed since like the death century, of yeah. uh, morgoth and so yeah a lot of time ha- ha- has passed and it, it, it is you know th- this this notion that she's at odds with the you know the the powers um in the elven society mm. and I, I think what's really interesting here is just that she you know we find she her friendship with with elrond mm-hmm. as well yeah. uh but that you know whilst uh gil gallard is ticked off that she's still pursuing this yeah. he has decided to reward her and yes. this reward though is <laughs> one that effectively takes her off the 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 chessboard really mm-hmm. of or, what's or going map. on yes. yeah or, or or the map by yeah. effectively uh, sending her into the west uh, 
back to Valinor mm. in order to live peacefully um, for the rest of eternity. Yeah. And you can't really blame King Gilgad here. The, the, the idea that he has is effectively, we haven't really seen any indication of these creatures, even though the orcs were spread all across Middle-earth when there was a war yeah. going on. We haven't seen any indication from them for years. So if you keep turning over rocks, you're going to end off finding something nasty underneath and start a new war, maybe. Start some other kind of battle. So his attitude is, let's leave well enough alone. Everything seems quite peaceful right now. It sends you off as um, as reward, maybe punishment. But another great touch I like in here is um, Elrond has the discussion with uh, with Galadriel beforehand, has a whole conversation with her and says, maybe wait until after you've heard what King Gilgalad wants to say to you, and then you can make your decision as to what your next mission will be. And then you see that he's following along because he's written the speech, so he knows yes. exactly what King Gilgalad is going to say to Galadriel. And there is absolutely a moment in her eyes where the anger rises within her, knowing this is not a reward. This is a He's very unhappy that she's going against his orders and sending her away. Yes, uh, absolutely. Um, so, I mean, that's almost like a betrayal of Elrond in, in a sense, mm. you know. Um, a little bit, yes. In in that sense, it's certainly at odds with what he should know as Galadriel's friend. So yeah. it's kind of a, an, an interesting yeah. little sort of element here to, mm. to Elrond being very, you know, very political yeah. as well. And... I, I just thought, yeah, that bitterness of, of what was being proposed was really, really good. Mm-hmm. And then we see them effectively, her and her company, so her soldiers that mm-hmm. joined her have also been given uh, this gift, effectively going on probably what would be the most uncomfortable sea voyage <laughs> to Valinor ever, yes. uh, ca- you know, casting their armour and standing upright for for most of it and mm. um, but i have to say i loved the depiction of going into the west oh, um, absolutely with that light um and just seeing the, just just seeing galadriel stepping back away from it as she realizes mm. this is not what her life is meant to be yeah. you know this isn't her destiny uh, and yeah, yeah. Uh, i just thought it was really good and even yeah. i mean even just before that we see everyone breaking out into song yeah um and galadriel isn't doing that she's not embracing yeah. going into the west I, I just think this is beautifully realized you know again, yeah. again there was only so much that peter jackson could take for the movies from the books but it's really clear in the books that song poetry um various forms of art are really important to what Professor Tolkien had wrote in his books. We'd seen a moment in, uh, in the, in Lord of the Rings where some elves were leaving Middle Earth to go off to Valinor and they were singing on their way. The hobbits came across their first group of elves and they were singing as they went. So this moment really feels like, you know, the, again, Valinor kind of interpreted as heaven, the, the, uh, the, the afterlife almost. That is where you go to live for eternity. So this moment really felt like everybody on board that ship was joining the heavenly host almost. They knew the song to sing. They all joined in with this beautiful moment, except yes. for Galadriel, because she realizes this is not for her. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and we see her at the end of episode one, uh, jumping overboard yeah. to um, 
I mean, I definitely say it is ambitious in order to swim uh, across the Sundering Sea well, back yeah. to Middle Earth, but back to with the that, east. well, exactly, um, yes. <laughs> Whilst heading into the west, she decides to go back to the Absolutely. east. Um, but I, I, you know, episode two really is about her making her way back to Middle Earth mm-hmm. and um, effectively meeting a, a new companion that has tales of orcs. Um, I think there's two elements. You have Halbrand, who is uh, from the race of men, yes. and we see that. There is a common cause between them to some extent. He is fleeing from attacks by orcs from the Southlands. Mm-hmm. You know, this is more evidence to Galadriel and that she is looking to, to bond, you know, bind them both together mm-hmm. in this course. He's, he's a bit more resistant to that, but in the course of going across, yeah. um, the, the, the Sundering Sea, there's certainly plenty of trials and tribulations for Galadriel and the rest of the survivors of the well, shipwreck. Yes, but the survivors is very long, unfortunately. Exactly, but in the storm, it is where um, you know he saves her from drowning, mm. and, and there is this connection between the two yeah. maids. Yeah, we don't know much about Halbrand uh, just yet. Um, I'm sure we'll we'll know more as the season goes on. But um, just a little nod, and again, we do hear this from one of the uh, other residents of um, which we'll talk about later on, and one of the residents of one of the other uh, towns of men. Um, we hear Galadriel asking him who is his king, and he says, "We don't have a king. Uh, he may return in the future." We hear that also from from the kid in the bar. Uh, later on, uh, in in uh, in our, which we'll just which we'll discuss, but we believe that's kind of a reference to the history of men that they don't yes. have one uh, king until the return of the king, uh, which is uh, Aragorn uh, later on in the in the tale of Lord of the Rings. So uh, so an interesting one, you know that that um, Galadriel's trying to pose some kind of alliance with uh, with Halbrand, but uh, but realizes there's some differences there. But we'll see more. Yeah, uh, as the and, and the other. Aspect is Halbrand seems to have some kind of pouch with a a, a, a crest on mm-hmm. it around his neck, which he's certainly um you know like like a clam has closed up around that. He yeah. kind of tucks it back into uh, underneath his his shirt. So mm-hmm. you know again you know little bit of intrigue there around who Halbrand is and yep. you know what's around his neck what's he keeping close to him mm. you know after his escape from from the orcs yes. so but yeah. it sounds like we're going to see a bit of that because uh, uh Gladriel was very insistent that he takes her to his homeland and yes. then takes her on to the southlands where there's been this rumor of orcs so uh, it sounds like she really was building up um, her her new army i guess because all the rest of them are going to Valinor, right? Yes, so, and exactly. unlikely she's going to be going back to uh, King Gilgalad to ask for more uh, elven armies um, on her <laughs> on her quest. But uh, that still won't stop Galadriel. Uh, overall, what do you think of Galadriel in here, John? I uh, really, yeah. really loved the character. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, strong, yeah, really correct. strong. Um, loved the the reason for what she's doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it really feels within the wheelhouse of Lord of the Rings, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, and even just the chance meetings such as with Hal Brand, you yeah. know, uh, just really, really good. So yeah, yeah absolutely uh, enjoyed, enjoyed this. Uh, and I like that, you know, she has put at odds with her, 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 her kin effectively yes. yeah. uh, as well. 
Absolutely. Um, always seen, I think, Galadriel as being a really powerful member of the of the elves. So uh, so great to see the kind of origin story, I suppose, of, of Galadriel. Yeah. Uh, let's get on to tale number two. This will be a little bit of a shorter discussion, I think, because this is supposed to be the mystery of, of these couple of episodes of the show. So we'll talk around it, uh, really. But we're going to talk about the Stranger and the Harfoots. Right. So, Harfoots. Let's talk about them first. Yeah, uh, I as, mean... As a community or a group. So we're talking about nomadic little uh, little characters here yes with universe. with feet with that are feet. focused on mm. um but it is important to say they are not hobbits they are not um, they are the, they, they are ancestrally connected to hobbits exactly yeah. exactly um and live off the land mm-hmm. you know live with nature or certainly um th- there there is that maybe less suspicion but wariness i guess yeah. of of the world of men and and other um and elves as well where yeah. we we see them hiding away from uh, two hunters with amazing kind of elk like uh horns uh, on their backs very cool looking. visually <laughs> amazing uh i'd say a nightmare to walk through a I'd forest with and yeah. um, catching <laughs> it on the trees but go sideways turn left <laughs> exactly <laughs> exactly and <laughs> um, but you know so that you can see there this is you know, because this whole thing is set in the Second Age. It's about a thousand years before Fellowship and mm-hmm. and and the the events of the um of that age. Mm-hmm. So it is, you know, it, it, it's a nod to, I guess, the history, the evolution of this world yeah. as well. But we we come across the the Brandyfoot family, uh, and in particular the young daughter, um, Nori, yes. who has this. Uh, like Frodo, you know, there's the 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 Harfoots seem to be quite insular, you know, wary of the outside world, well, and yeah. she has um she has an intrigue for the wider world, Little like adventure, yeah, uh, adventures. And and in fact, it's it's even her mother says to her, "This is how they stay, how they stay alive. Everybody is self sustaining in this group. If they work together and stay together, that's how they stay alive in the world. If they're ever found out by the world of men, um, the potential is that the whole." whole tribe effectively will be destroyed yeah so that's why they hide so much um it's this whole concept that this group of nomadic uh harfoots um stay stay together and stay alive so it, it's I, I loved that scene where we see um the hunters walk past and then you just see a little bit of grass pops up and it's actually covering one of the harfoots and then the rest of them all unfold their little town <laughs> effectively uh after the 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 threat of the hunters is gone because this is how they stay out of sight and stay uh, stay away from the uh, the world of men um which I which I just really like I think and I think it's a fun uh, scene and again we have those connections in our minds of course of of hobbits so uh, we know that they're an innocent people we know that they are people that kept separated uh, in their own way from uh, from the rest of middle earth so yeah. uh, so that's kind of interesting great uh, central performance here from um, from Lenny Henry, uh, returning as the the chief, effectively of uh, of this tribe, yes, um, Chief Sadok Burroughs. Yes, yes, it's really interesting, isn't it? I also will uh, say, considering we're Irish, uh, also will say, interesting that we have 
quite Irish accents yes. uh, from this group a group of Harfoots. Uh, you'll probably remember back to uh, the casting of Lord of the Rings. We had um, we had people putting on uh, English accents, like uh, like the two Americans um, playing Frodo and Sam, two Americans doing English accents, and we had a, a Northern Englishman and we had a Scots um, accent all combined into the Hobbits. Here we have Irish accents coming in uh, to the Harfoots, which I think is uh, I think is quite interesting. Um, but Quickly, just to talk about Sadiq Burroughs, um, an interesting piece here from him, that initial meeting with the Hunters is drawn into their stars, effectively, their book of, yes. uh, their book of, what would you say, predictions or fortunes of, of this group is what it seems like. Yeah, it, it seems it, it, it's, it's the tome at which they, it's like a constitution almost mm. for them. It, it's, it, it's how they, understand the world that it you know some great sage or some you know previous chiefs have um sort of looked at the stars and have made predictions about the future and have written those down and 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 these guide them in their nomadic life and you know importantly here not only are the the hunters with the the elk horns predicted in the book but we see here uh, that Chief Sadok is seeing signs of something, you know, terrible coming. Mm. Ultimately, it seems that, like, yeah. that there are changes afoot in the world, yeah. uh, and that he is interpreting from the, this big tome that he he holds and, and curates. Yeah. I, I guess, and he seems to instantly consult when there's something something going on that's unexplained. Yes. Um, and again, I, I wonder if this is the reason for, uh, or is this uh, is, is this something that drives them um, when they need to wrap up and move on to the next place as, as yeah. a nomadic tribe? If there's some kind of warnings that are in this book, is that the reason they decide? You know, do they stay a place two or three days every time, or is it? Oh, hang on a second, the poor tents are bad. Let's yes. wrap yeah. everything up and get out of here. So, uh, so that's that's quite interesting. But with that, right at the end of mm. episode one, then we have this huge meteorite. Um, coming to the to Middle Earth, yeah, uh, seen by everybody as well. Seen by everyone, mm. and close to where the Harfoots are, uh, and it is Nori that goes chasing yes. after it along its path, and um, you see at the end with this person at the center of the crater uh, created by the the meteorite mm-hmm. uh, with all flames uh, and in a what seemingly looks like a very, very hot center, but then picked up in episode two, mm-hmm. it is cool to the touch. And yeah. this is where Nori, um, then joined by Poppy, looks to see if he's okay. Yeah. And her curiosity of the wider world is absolutely peaked and, and, and approaches this man at yeah. the center of the crater yeah i do kind of like that little uh touch from poppy going um you know you're always out here adventuring this is not an adventure and nari going but like i didn't seek this this happened i mean <laughs> no, sure exactly. landed. and poppy going yes but you ran towards it unlike everybody else who stayed away from yeah. it you know so uh so i do like that there's a great that great fun moment with the two of them and a wheelbarrow uh filled with the stranger oh, I love that. Uh, going yeah. up a hill and then they start arguing as the wheelbarrow uh, ditches itself right back down the hill again. Yeah. Uh, that's that's a fun little touch. Some great use of uh, of technology, I'd say, probably CGI here, or uh, at least this version to show how different the Harfoots are to humans when we see eventually the stranger awake and 
talking to Nari. I know he he's not speaking, but Nari talking to him. The difference in size between the two of them is really well executed here uh, for the show. Something obviously really important to the Hobbit yeah. and uh, and Lord of the Rings uh, movies. She's keeping him hidden from the rest of her mm-hmm. family and the Harfoots so that she doesn't get into trouble. Yeah. But ultimately, he is trying to communicate. We we see him scratching stuff into the um, trunk of a fallen tree. Mm-hmm. We see him uh, scratching um, lines in the earth with a stick to try and communicate. And ultimately... It's a language she doesn't understand, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. But I think we've seen that uh, particular uh, type of language before in uh, in... Gandalf writing on uh, on Frodo's door. Well, that is it. Mm. It is um it is who is this stranger mm. that has fallen to Middle-earth and um you know, I mean initially with all the fire and so on just because so much um of of heat fire is used for Sauron, you're going is it possibly Sauron? Mm. But you couldn't imagine him even though, you know, he is sort of taken aback by his rescuers. There are moments where, you know, she's saying, no, no, I mean you no harm and, yeah. and, and so on. And he doesn't do anything evil to her as yes. such. And yeah. there is, uh, you know, he's trying to communicate with her. We see that he, you know, talked about the, the these markings that he's producing in um to try and communicate with her, but in the end uses um, fireflies that they that the Harfoots use as as lanterns. Love that. Um, really good <laughs> uh, to use them as ultimately points of light in the sky to yeah. show this constellation of stars that he um, he needs to know about or understand or find mm. within the sky uh, in order for whatever. Um, work or quest he must do yeah. in Middle Earth potentially. I mean, I, I'm guessing there, but yeah, what- absolutely, and, it, and it's very difficult to kind of put together because they're trying to interpret someone that can't speak to them and, and can't tell them. But I would assume that the reason it's a it's a constellation is because where the the place where that constellation is above should be the place that he needs to get to. I guess that's why yeah. he's using that. So it's kind of like a star map or a star chart. Exactly. Where he needs so to it, get it's to. the map that he can navigate. Yeah. But the really interesting thing here, we see uh, the stranger almost talking to the fireflies to get them to be in that position and mm-hmm. form that constellation in the sky. Yeah. And it's very similar to Gandalf speaking with the moth where he's sending the message to bring the eagles where mm-hmm. he when he's the prisoner in the top of Isengard and mm-hmm. um, that same kind of murmuring to yep. to the fireflies like- and and they do the bidding but interestingly it's almost a little bit of a dark note because all the fireflies ultimately die after yep. doing this and yep. um, and you know you see the expression on Poppy's face and it, it it's kind of just it's a dark edge that's tinged around this stranger, mm-hmm. or at least the perception of the Harfoots or, or Poppy in particular of of uh, this stranger. So I thought that was an interesting choice, and I just wonder, you know, it, it is the lack of communication because he has been up in the stars for so long. Is it, Maybe. you know, effectively this stranger is unsocialized. So mm-hmm. it, it it's... A really interesting kind of point to it. It's just an an added thing which you just wonder. Okay, where will 
this go or how will it be um or how will it play out Absolutely. ultimately central mystery and we know all the theories online right now is that this is gandalf but i think those all came from a, a one second shot from the trailer a couple of months ago that everybody saw this guy looks quite similar to gandalf let's see if it's him and um, there's a couple of reasons why it couldn't be from uh from the the books themselves but it's entirely possible it is the story of gandalf himself is quite a lot later than this story he's not supposed yes. to have visited until about the third age which is after the second age obviously um but there is also notes within the appendices that his his species or his group did visit middle yes, earth the before wiz- the wizards i can't remember yeah. the name of the the species that the wizards are mm. comprised of but yes yeah, members of their group did visit um before the third age yeah that's that's so that's that's a possibility let's see how it plays out but personally i think i'd like it not to be gandalf i'd like it to be another one of yes. of the wizards of of, uh, of one of the groups of wizards i think that would be more interesting because Gandalf is so central to the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit series that we've seen a lot of story of him and quite an iconic character. So we already have quite a few of those uh, in there. I don't know whether we need Gandalf, but I'm happy with whatever suits the story, really. So looking forward to seeing it play out. But that is where they've left it. I think they are trying to get the audience to at least think it might be Gandalf. And maybe they're trying to pull the rug out from us in the future or explain why it could be. Yeah, definitely. There you go. But a good little introduction to the Harfoots uh, in this world. I think I'm going to yeah. enjoy them. Um, that the character of Nori is uh, is as a character I think I'm going to enjoy in the show. I like that kind of mischievous, adventurous uh, side of these. Yeah, these exactly, characters. exactly. Uh, let us get on to our tale number three: mm-hmm. uh, Elrond and Selimbrimbor, um and dwarves uh, as well. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about Elrond the with Galadriel uh-huh. being a friend in a sense, almost a little bit of um, a betrayal to some extent. I, I, I would, yeah. Betrayal's too strong a word, but he is, you know, uh, we've mentioned that. But here, um, with everything going on in Middle Earth, mm. and now with the formal end of the the war mm. um, that has lasted. You know, the, there is this whole notion there of within Middle Earth, and, and we saw this in in the Lord of the Rings uh, and the, in the books. You know, the distrust of elves by men, uh, both mm-hmm. on on the shipwreck. We also see that um, with Arondir as well, um, which we'll come to uh, in our next tale. Uh, there is the suspicion that we know from the Hobbit between dwarves and and elves, mm-hmm. and it's all distrust in Absolutely. in Middle Earth, and and with that, it's almost as though uh, Gil Gallad um, is 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 trying to then sort of secure the peace now, in a sense, and he has this uh, he has this job for Elrond. Uh, to do to to go to the great elven uh smith Celembribor, uh to to build who is looking to build a forge of of the like which has never been seen on earth at, in in terms of what it can create the yeah. the, the the powerful artifacts items that mm-hmm. can be created uh, within this this forge yeah yeah and it's it's almost like that is um Elrond's reward from King Gilgalad. Uh, just to say, it is just that he wrote the speech for King Gilgalad. He's not the one that actually forced 
Galadriel away from Middle Earth. It is it is a choice of the king, yes, uh, and he has to true. he has to write the speech. So I'm not I don't want to uh, say that their friendship is broken. We will probably see no. the two of them together uh, in the future. Exactly. I mean, that's what I, it's betrayal's not the right word. Mm. It's more just that he's a party to it, yeah, and he, knew he, it. he didn't tell her. He didn't forewarn her beforehand. Exactly. You exactly. Know? But they are. They did reform their friendship at the end of the episode. They did yes. say that they are still friends. Um. Speaking of friends, though, we do have Elrond reaching out to another friend because this this kind of uh, quest he's been sent on by the king to uh, to deal with uh, Celebrimbor um, comes with no additional army or no additional workers. <laughs> Celebrimbor yeah. is saying this is a massive job that needs to be taken, and we don't have anybody other than me and you, effectively. So, uh, so Elrond reaches out to his dwarfish friend, Prince Durin of Khazad-dûm. Yes. Um, this I absolutely loved. This yeah. uh, this dwarven city is oh, was amazing, fabulous. Uh, yeah. re- we really have never seen that on screen before. We've seen the mines of Moria, which uh, were dark, and uh, there was hardly any dwarves left there as well. So, but within the uh, within the Hobbit, we've seen cities that have been abandoned by dwarvish folk and then well, coming back and reclaiming them whereas this is a city at this the is height, a, it's a uh, living breathing fabulous. city at its height as you say lord of the rings the hobbit it's doom has befallen yeah. the dwarven cities in in, in various ways mm-hmm. and um it, it's it's just so amazing to see I, I mean even just the introduction of light i mean we do kind of get that from kazakh doom with just a shaft of light coming into this antechamber, yeah. but everything is dark, and and here we see, you know, light coming into it, water running through it, and mm-hmm. um, really, really good, and yeah. uh, to see this living, working, you know, breathing, uh, dwarven city in the mountains, and um, and I I just thought it was really just amazing. It was really, yeah, it was really good fun. I love that it opened with uh, with effectively Elrond thinking, you know. Ah, sure, I'm just going to see my old mate, you know, knocks on the door, uh, says, Elrond here to see Durin, and just gets no in his face, and the door's closed, <laughs> until yeah. he challenges, until he uses his knowledge of uh, of the dwarves and their uh, and their um, rituals, I suppose, and, sa- and, and says that he's going to prove himself in a test of endurance to be able to uh, visit with his friend Durin yes. and try and at least get his ear for five seconds to tell him what the plan is. I think what I really liked here as well is just the explanation of why Prince Durin is frosty. It, hmm. it, it It's the fact that, you know, elves are so long living um, that they conceive of time differently. Yeah. And, you know, it's only been 20 years for Elrond. And, and as Durin says... It may be a blink of an eye for an elf, but it's I've lived a lifetime in exactly. in that twenty years. I have gotten married. You didn't come to the wedding. I've had children with my mm-hmm. wife, and that's that's the the reason. It you know it is is angry. He's upset because mm-hmm. his friend hasn't a, attended those moments in his life. So really, really good. And I think with. The other side of it is we see dwarvish women here. There's yes. reference to that in in the Hobbit about mm-hmm. the the beauty of um, dwarven women, and I thought Deza uh, Durin's wife was just fantastic. Oh, I, I loved really her. loved her. Yeah. Just you know, she isn't being stubborn like 
her husband is. Yes. You know, she's trying to facilitate them mending their ways. You know, yeah. none of it was intentional. And, 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 and again, I just she, really enjoyed her. And Yeah, and she uh, seems to know Elrond as well. She seems to have had uh, a friendship with him in some way in the past, or at least known of, uh, of Elrond, yes. but she's willing to open up her home to him. I think uh, these moments here are actually some of the some of my favourite uh, written moments uh, yes. in the episode. There's a, a lovely moment when um, Elrond is looking out over the tree, which grew from a sapling that he gave to yeah. uh, Durin in the past, and something that's not grown in uh, in the dwarfish society. They don't respect trees. That's not that's not their um, function as people, but because of their friendship, Durin has nurtured it like one of his children, as as, as Disa says. Well, that's it. They uh, they're they're stone. They're ore. They're yeah. they're iron. As I say, when they go, when Elrond and Durin go to his home, mm-hmm. it's like they really need some soft furnishing. Actually, where's so, the pillows? Yeah, where's the exactly. cushions? It's <laughs> really, really hard. Yeah, but, and with kids running around as well, they, they need those helmets wearing, to protect their heads. Wearing stone heads, yes. You, know, you, you, you see houses where it's got soft things on the corners of yeah. all the cupboards. This is just, this is stone, carved stone. The table, the pillars... I'm guessing the seats. So, you know, yeah, some soft furnishings, I think, are required. Absolutely. But the beauty of this tree in the center of the courtyard outside the the home is is wonderful. And again, I love this description from Elrond that it's not growing from traditional light. We're inside a mountain here. So everybody laughing at Durin for trying to grow a tree doesn't understand that it's growing from the power of the love that's within their home. And of course it would grow as beautifully as it has because there's so much love in the home and that's what softens Durin a bit uh, to Elrond, allows Elrond to stay and at least uh, give an explanation of what it is that he wants. Yeah, the other thing I really enjoyed um, was how Durin and Deza uh, met effectively because I I Mm. love that concept that she introduced of how they mine, how they understand the mountain, how they know where to to mine mm-hmm. to identify what's there or or where not to mine because the, there's weaknesses um yeah. through through resonating where and um, she was singing at, at the mountain to understand how the dwarven miners should approach you know the particular scene yeah. the the rock face mm-hmm. and, and what was there and that yeah. you know because the mountain is made up of ore rock um, it's made up of, of water and air, and yeah. all these sing back to her as, as she sings to the mountain. I just thought it was really, really good. I, I just really liked that idea. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and it, yeah, and it, yeah, it was just so good. And it just speaks again to dwarves are working in conjunction with the mountains that they're mining. It's not like they are going in and pulling all the oil out for profit. They are working with the mountain to find yes. the precious materials and... and um, it's just evident in the way that Deesa is saying it that the mountain will tell them, no, you can't have this almost. It will it will explain that this is an area where you shouldn't mine because that's that's part of me or something like that. It feels like you're getting the story of the mountain yeah. uh, back. But where there are materials that they can mine, it's sharing that story with them as well because it's working in conjunction with the dwarves. I think that's a, a beautiful description of, of, of the dwarves themselves. They're not just uh, people focused on the... Uh, extraction of materials they're working together with the mountain to uh to benefit each other almost is, yeah. is kind of the way it comes across but the, there seems to be a mending of um that relationship of yeah. elrond and, and durin yes. and he's he's happy to hear 
uh, the proposal from Elrond, and um, you know yes. the, the the ask of, of the dwarves from the elves, so that he can bring it to his, his father. Mm, but there is another reason why nobody from outside of Khazad-dûm is allowed to come in to Khazad-dûm. It's a, that seems to have been a big change in the last twenty years since Elrond had seen uh, Durin. It's not just because he's been away for twenty years. We kind of learned that um, there's been a recent find uh, within the dwarves. Um, I'm guessing, or we're guessing, that this is the Arkenstone, yes. the uh, the stone that kind of is owned by the leader of the king of the dwarves. And from that point onwards, really, the king of dwarves holds the Arkenstone yes. as their seal of office almost. Um, so we just saw a little glance of it, but it it inspires distrust between dwarves and other races. So even though we've mentioned that there is has always been distrust between these races, it seems like this is pushing King Durin to have no respect for any prior well, relationship no trust, with Elrond I think. and, no, and yeah. no trust. No yeah. trust. I mean, it, it's that other side of dwarves that um, comes out from the Hobbit story and from the, the Lord of the Rings that, you know, they have a hoarding instinct as well. You know, they have yes. great wealth from the ore and minerals and rock that they mine uh, and there there is that hoarding of wealth and mm-hmm. um, deep within their mountains you know there's that element and this is the pinnacle of the the the, the wealth that can be extracted yeah. from these mountains the arkenstone it, it is a, a a point of of, of power and um kingship then Mm -hmm. within the dwarven community so hugely sort of protective of it but that brings about the distrust with outsiders because Mm -hmm. they may uh, want it for themselves exactly exactly interesting story uh here in Kazadum, and uh, i think Kazadum is probably my favorite location that we've seen in the show i know there's some beautiful elven locations but i think it's because of the newness of it it's something that we haven't really spent any time uh in this kind of location in in uh, in fantasy world so uh really good to see a whole group of dwarves the way we have and hopefully we'll see a lot more of durin and uh and his folk in the future yes let us get on to tale Number four, mm-hmm. Arondir the Elven Soldier and Bronwyn the Human Healer. Mm. Um, yeah, I really absolutely enjoyed this whole area of of Middle Earth with the the Southlands, um, you know, the land of men, mm-hmm. uh, and you know this idea that there are elves that have been stationed there um, as watchers across this land of, yeah. of men. For 90 um, years, isn't it? For, for a very long time, mm. yeah. And oh, Sorry, at least Arondir has, uh, yes. has been stationed there for 90 years, isn't it? Yeah. And I, I really actually like that conversation as they learn that the war has been formally um, sort of come to an end by their high high king mm-hmm. and that they are to head back to linden uh, and uh return to their effectively you know back to the elven society yeah, maybe um, even back to valinor and but i i love the conversation between uh arondir and his his commander uh, as they um are on the watchtower mm-hmm. and you know that they're talking about the life they they've 
made here because they've been stationed for so long. And in some ways, Aronde is a little reluctant almost to leave because of his affection towards Bronwyn. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I love how the the commander just says, you know, he he kind of corrects Aronde to say that, you know, we stood watch here not because of who they once fought for or allied with, with Morgoth, but because of the people they still are mm-hmm. in that they could realign with them. There's there's this resentment towards the elves that we see in Bronwyn's village. Not yes. all of them, but yeah. the you know most the, the, of them, they're yeah. they're suspicious that it's almost like an occupying force. I guess yeah. might be their 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 view. Well, absolutely, um, they have their own issues, their own things they're dealing with, and it feels like Arondir and the other uh, the other soldier are coming into town to to ask them what the issues are so they can investigate them even though they have their own town council they have their own people who have already done that investigation um which so they most of the town don't like this police force effectively that's coming in to look over them yes you even hear you know in in the concept of um the gossip that's going round about bronwyn and arondir everybody is talking yeah. about the fact that he seems to have eyes for her and this shouldn't happen um and that's why Later on, they don't believe Bronwyn. They don't want to go with uh, Bronwyn's recommendation because she feel they feel that she's almost left them and gone with Arondir. Yes, and, and her son Theo as well mm. doesn't um, like all the gossip that surrounds his mother and uh, Arondir either. Yes. And I think coming Theo's to an interesting character, Theo, isn't he? yeah, <laughs> very interesting because we see him and one of his mates effectively sort of. Um, knowing that there's a secret kind of compartment in one of the barns uh, mm-hmm. in, in the village and going into it and finding this artifact that has the the seal of Sauron on it. Yeah. Um, I think you were saying it was it looked like the hilt of a sword. It seems and, like the hilt and the bottom of the sword, similar yeah. to, um, to Aragorn's original broken sword that he had. Yes. Something similar to that, but this one is a black sword with uh, with the mark of Sauron on there and does seem to be speaking the black speech. Um the 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 words of of Mordor as we as we hear yes. in the future, the the dark words. So it seems like it's calling out to him all the time, um almost infecting Theo a bit to to make sure that he's obsessing over it. Yes. And even, you know, in episode two we see him holding it as they look to leave their village mm-hmm. of Horden uh, because of the the orcs yeah. and a bit of blood getting onto it and it starts to almost grow like reform, and like. reform, mm. which was really interesting. And it's what effect will this have on on Theo himself? It, yeah. It's kind of like the Morgul blade, you know, okay. will it, is it, is it kind of like, the, the same blade that the wraiths have is you know or what what will it do you know is, is it like the ring that infects and uh, changes the the bearer of it maybe um it'll be interesting to see but yeah. and, I, and again they're gonna really have to really it. they're gonna have to really explain this as well because 
you know, there's a lot of audiences they need to serve with this show. Yes. They have the fans of, of Tolkien's literature who are probably 50-50 split on whether they like even having a TV show at all based on it. Then you've got the fans of Lord of the Rings who are going to be making comparisons to the movies, Lord of the Rings and, and Hobbit. And then you've got brand new people who've never seen any of this who will have no idea what a Morgul blade is, for yes. example, or uh, or that influence that's happening. But I do think you can feel from Theo that he's getting this obsessive nature over this over the sword he's carrying it with him at all times he's hiding it in different places and has to take it with him when he's leaving the village as well this has to be something that he brings with him even though it wasn't his to begin with uh, i almost got that feeling of uh, that kind of gollum moment and uh, when when we saw smeagol finding yes. the ring for the first time in lord of the rings um that moment where he kills his cousin for this possession that he's just found it almost felt a little bit like that theo has discovered this sword hilt or this artifact and now it's his and now he's hiding it, and now he must take it with him wherever he goes. Is what it is what it seems like to yeah. begin with. So uh, that'll be really interesting. But let's talk quickly about uh, Bronwyn and, and Erondir going to uh, this other town, uh, Horden. This is uh, Bronwyn's former hometown, where she's originally from. Yes. Yeah. I mean, th- they're both out in, in that direction because uh, they have come across a mysterious sickness that has mm. affected livestock, where effectively the milk is black. Pretty gross, uh, and, actually. And pretty viscous yeah. as well. Although maybe it's coffee. <laughs> it could be. And they're, they're just but, they're skipping the uh, exactly. for, for people that don't like milk um, in their coffee. And an espresso. <laughs> um and, and they go to investigate and find uh the, the village the hometown of Bronwyn Horden and mm. um, destroyed. No, nobody is around and these these series of tunnels and um, underneath uh, one of the the homes there so yeah. and Brom- I, Broman like knows the people that used to live there the yeah. whole town is emptied uh, just see he, hear the little thing that uh, the, the little moments where Arondir kind of puts his foot in their relationship and kind of ruins it where he goes they're on their way to uh, to Horden and he says oh Horden's quite well known as a place that uh, was very supportive of Morgoth <laughs> And instantly Bronwyn's demeanor changes going, well, that's my hometown. What are you saying about us? Yes, exactly. <laughs> not, a, not a good thing. But I really like the, their relationship. You know, it's it, it's frowned upon by mm-hmm. wider society, certainly here in, in the Southlands. I suspect as well with elven folk, uh, it would uh, be absolutely. as well. It's a real nice little nod to Aragorn and Arwen. Um, mm. you know, from Lord of the Rings, yeah. and it does feel similar, yeah. And, and and there is that that moment that when the elves says there's only really been two relationships between men and elves that have worked in the past, so almost a precedent, but only two in all of history. <laughs> Absolutely, and yeah. and but it's also very unspoken. And mm-hmm. um, you know, there is that moment where you you feel it's going to be expressed, yeah. Um, and Arondir t- says. Well, I've shown it all the time I've been here, but through my actions, not by actually saying it. In every way other than words. Yes, Yes. exactly. So um, really just enjoyed this. And this whole side of these first two episodes, I just really enjoyed. And even with the tunnels, again, another nice little bit of horror as, you know, Bronwyn has gone back to warn her her village where mm-hmm. she lives, and Arondir has gone through the tunnels, and and we see him 
trying to escape whatever is down the that's boring through yeah. the ground. But and I do love the job scare moment when uh, we see the eye through the hole in the floor that, uh, yes. that Theo has has uh, gouged effectively. That's a, a nice little jump. Yeah, <laughs> you know, so a Rondir is effectively captured in some way, or you know, is. Yeah. Saved by the roots, or is he captured no, by the roots? Hands that cut, mm. isn't it? That come through from that, but it may have been saved. So, not entirely sure, yeah. but something has happened to a Rondir. Um, but we see the orcs then beginning to come into uh, the village where Bronwyn lives, but into her home. And we have Theo hiding away, mm-hmm. uh, and Bronwyn having to hide away as well as the orc comes back in, but it's a great little fight, you know. Oh, again, it's really good. Yeah. Uh, the orcs are very resilient to um, serrated large knives going mm-hmm. through them and daggers and um, attempted uh, hangings as well from Theo. Absolutely. Really, it was just a really good fight. And I, I just I like, l- the mo- yeah, I like the movements of this because a lot of times yeah. fights and TV shows and movies can feel like a dance where they're moving back and forth. But I like the kind of roughness of this where uh, Bronwyn stabs him and he gets the, the what, what the thing she stabbed him with gets caught on the stairs. Yeah. You know, that kind of stuff where it feels like in, in that moment, it feels like they're trying everything they possibly can against it, a very it, formidable It's creature. the difference of fighting where it's a, an elven soldier mm-hmm. and someone who that, you know is a healer effectively. Yeah. So it, it's a fight for their life. Exactly. Um, it, it's not a professional soldier and, and so on. It just, it's both Bronwyn and Theo trying to survive. Mm-hmm. And so they're just using everything they can. And I, I love, like, it just made me chuckle because she'd been ignored uh, by her, her village when mm-hmm. she comes with the warning uh, that it just then immediately cuts to her plonking the orc's <laughs> head on the butcher's block in, in the tavern yeah. and saying, now do you believe me effectively? Right, we'll be leaving at uh, first daylight. Yeah, yeah. And they're off to the uh, the abandoned uh, outpost that the elves left behind. That's where they're uh, going to be moving to is what it seems like. Yeah, that's that's her. Uh, that's where she's saying yes. she wants them to go to anyway. So I presume they're going there. And um, that's pretty much the last tale. But just there was one uh, thing I wanted to mention. Uh, another member of the town says to Theo about where his father's gone. You still don't know, do you? It sounded a little bit like he was just saying it because if your mother's more interested in elves, of course your father left is what it, what it felt like. Yes. But it could also be a nod to something else coming in the future if potentially his father was more of a supporter of uh, Morgoth and of, and of Sauron, then uh, maybe he's part of the army or something yes. like that that might lead to another story. But just wanted to mention it there. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, uh, that is our fourth and final tale. Mm. Any any notes um, from this? I mean, yeah, the only note I've got is uh, we didn't really mention it around the forge, but th- this forge that Celembrabor is looking to build with the help of Elrond, mm-hmm. it, you know, is most likely this, the most powerful that's ever been seen, yeah. um, is, you know, ultimately what is going to create... The, the the rings of power yes. that are um, the title of the show. Yes, yes. that are given <laughs> to men, dwarves, and elves. Mm-hmm. And also, I wondered whether it was also the forge that would create, you know, various blades and um, that may have an impact later uh, down the line as yes. well. Yes, potentially, it can forge anything. 
uh, at all, but it feels like that's where the rings of power at least are yes. going to be forged. Um, so uh, that will be a really interesting, yeah, good, a, a good point there to call out. Um, the only other thing that I think we should have a quick chat about is probably quite a, a, quite a big thing because it was quite exciting to hear. Um, we have Howard Shore creating the new theme for yes. Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power. Howard Shore, um, probably most prominently known from his work uh, on the Lord of the Rings trilogy and the Hobbit trilogy. Um, he's been touring the world for years uh, with the music that he created for those and really good that they brought him back here to do this brand new theme that we hear in episode two. What do you think of the theme, John? I, really, I loved it. I loved the visual with the sound sort of dancing around mm-hmm. uh, into different patterns. Um, yeah. Uh, and with the dark sand coming in for, you know, the evil that is in this world. So I really liked it. Yeah. And I also really liked, um, the rest of the music here, which is being done by, um, Bert McCreary. Absolutely. Yeah. Bert McCreary, well known for his work on Walking Dead, Agents of Shield, Battlestar Galactica, great, um, composer for, for TV, uh, soundtracks, but just, beautiful to hear a new piece of Howard Shore music yes, within absolutely. this uh, Lord of the Rings pantheon, I suppose. Um, oh, look at me using highfalutin words there. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but it feels of a part, like it feels similar to the type of music that Howard Shore has produced in the past, which just grounds you into this universe yes, again. And exactly. This, at least the live action version of these Given stories. how important the music was to Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings, yeah. you know, the music here has a lot to live up to yes, it and it, it it's great that Howard Shaw has come on board to do the new theme for the show. And, you know, that there is someone of the quality of Bear McCreary and um, doing the, the, the music for each episode, yeah. you know, so I really, really enjoyed that um, as well. Yes. I, I think the other aspect, um, just to a nod to the, Semerillion, um, is that Celebrebor speaks of his works, but also, and how obsessive Morgoth was over the Samarils, mm. uh, which were jewels created by another elvish smith, um, that used the essence of those trees of light in, in Valinor. And yes. I've never read the Smerillion, mm-hmm. um, but uh, I just thought that was a nice little nod. Yeah, this is something that would, again, would probably be in the appendices, but they don't have the story of Smerillion. They don't have the rights to that. The $250 million that they spent on the rights uh, was only Lord of the Rings and the appendices. So um, I suppose in order to form some kind of idea of who Morgoth is, that piece of the appendices is able to be brought in here just to give you a little yeah. connection but we won't be seeing any of the story of the Salmerillion, but interesting to have uh, have it pulled out uh, in the episode, though. I think that's our notes and tales uh, for the episode, John. Yes, uh, I think so. Derek, what did you think of these first two episodes? I'm all in. I really enjoyed this as an opener for uh, The Rings of Power. Um, the world of Tolkien is very different to most other fantasies, and it does kind of land on... Do you enjoy the characters and spending time with them and their visions of the world, their views on the world are very different to the kind of other fantasy shows that we've, yes. that we've followed. There's always quests and there's always uh, a bit of excitement going on, but those moments of pause when you get to spend time with the Harfoots, for example, or when you get to see what dwarves are like in their day-to-day lives, those moments were really uh, the making of these first two episodes for me. I really enjoyed those. Um, I enjoyed understanding what 
the elves had given to the world uh, during this period, how, how involved they were in everything that was going on. They weren't just an army that fought against um, this massive threat. They also created, effectively, the police force for the world, which I thought was quite interesting to, to learn about. And yeah. Their interaction with the other uh, races on uh, within Middle-earth is also really interesting. Um, there's a lot more to the story to go. We've got another six episodes in the series, which is really exciting. I loved how it started. I know they have to also appease people that are looking for the standard uh, fantasy fights and uh, excitement that you expect to get from a fantasy show as well. And I think they did a good job on both of those elements to, to kick this off. The amount of money that you can feel in here. I remember going to the cinema to watch the Lord of the Rings movies and being completely blown away by, by the look yes. of those yeah. movies. And I felt similar watching this yeah, episode. I was definitely. like, wow, look what they're putting on my TV screen here. I know this did play in lots of cinemas uh, across the world as, as pre premiered in lots of cinemas um, in premiere events. And I'm sure it looked fantastic on big screen, but it also looked amazing on, on the TV. So uh, really excited to see the rest of the series and enjoyed the characters that we've got here for the first two episodes. How about yourself, John? Did you enjoy the premiere episodes of Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power? Yeah, I, I mean, for me, for both episodes, um, uh, jointly, I, I would give this five tunneling troubles out of five. Oh, um, I, I really, really enjoyed it. I loved how epic and sweeping it was. I loved getting the, you know, reacquainted with the tour around the different, uh, areas around this world from Valinor uh, over to Middle Earth, the Sundering Seas, you know, on Middle Earth, we, we got to the Southlands and, and Linden and Kazakh Doom. Uh, so I really uh, just love this whole tour and feel of it. I mm. love the opening. Um, Galadriel, just absolutely fierce. Um, Elrond, the, the consummate politician. Uh, Arondir and, and Bronwyn, the forbidden lovers, mm. you know, the, the, the young... Uh, son of Bronwyn, Theo, with his find. I love this notion of the sigil of Sauron, uh, being, uh, put through this world mm. for the supporters. The, you know, the distrust between these different societies on Middle Earth, um, all that sort of, again, it's that notion of bringing the, you know, how evil feeds from that distrust and, and, and with Sauron yeah. still at large. So, uh, and with the Harfoots as well, uh, with the stranger. Loads of intrigue. Just want to learn more about this second age, mm -hmm. uh, in that sense through this, um, action filled sweeping series, uh, which is evidenced from this, these first two episodes. So yeah. absolutely, uh, five tunneling troubles out of five for me. Excellent. Excellent. Um, again, just quickly, just to say, because we didn't really, we talked mostly about the story of the show, but it is absolutely beautiful in New Zealand. The, the, uh, places that they've gone to, to film the, the setup shots and the, the views of this amazing country. Absolutely loved it. Want to go back to New Zealand again <laughs> after watching this once again. I know production for the second season has moved to the UK. So, uh, hopefully they've taken years and years worth of establishing shots that they can use for the show <laughs> exactly. in the future. There's lots of beauty in, in the UK as well, of course, but, um, it's but not quite as tall mountains, yes. I guess. Not quite as tall, but, uh, but it'll be interesting to see if we notice the chain change in the future. But I just thought there was some 
establishing shots that were within the show that were absolutely gorgeous and yeah. uh, and amazing on the 4K TV. <laughs> yeah, and it, it is world building still. You know, yeah. it's in that moment. It's story building. It's world building with very familiar um, protagonists uh, in there from The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. So really uh, just very much enjoyed uh, this this look back to the to middle earth uh, and that world thank you so much for joining us for this episode our first uh, coverage of the lord of the rings the rings of power we'll obviously be covering the rest of the season uh, on tv podcast industries here make sure you subscribe to the podcast at tvpodcastindustries.com um where you'll find uh, locations to subscribe to us wherever you listen to your podcast uh, if you want to support the podcast you can also go over to patreon.com slash tv podcast industries uh, where you can support us for an ongoing monthly amount which goes towards uh, producing all of the podcasts that we do uh, here on tv podcast industries or if you want to give a donation towards us you can also support us through buy me a coffee which is buymeacoffee.com slash tvpi for any one-off amount uh, which helps support the podcast too absolutely and of course you can also support us by subscribing to the podcast mm-hmm. uh, and sharing the podcast to friends, family, and I guess trolls even. Um, Although, because yes. sharing the <laughs> podcast is, of course, sharing the love. Yes, we can uh, turn those trolls around. Exactly. Yes. Another way is to provide feedback yes. as well. Your theories, comments, thoughts on anything to do uh, with the Rings of Power. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have gotten a little piece of feedback through over on our Facebook group. Uh, you can join the group by heading on over to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash TV podcast industries where we put up a spoiler post for the episodes of uh, all the shows that we cover. Yep. And we'll do the same here for the Rings of Power. But first up, we got um, feedback from Will Madgwick, who says, I really enjoyed the episodes overall. I did think they were a bit slow, but I'm sure it will get better as the series goes along. Now the world and characters have been well set up. I also thought they jumped between characters a bit too much for me, which made it feel a bit jarring occasionally. Mm. As you'd expect, the cinematography was amazing and some great acting performances already, especially from Morfid Clark, who I'm really looking forward to seeing more of as Galadriel. I won't bore you with some of my issues with the law. Harfoot's called Brandyfoot? Question <laughs> mark. Um, thanks so much, Will, for the feedback. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think the cinematography was fantastic here. Yeah. Um, and, and, and the performances as well. I mean, even, you know, it, it's all very different. Gladriel, I think, is that central piece in, in many respects. Mm-hmm. She, she represents the dedication, the fire. Uh, of going after evil in this world in, in the form of Sauron. Yeah. And, and it, it, it is one they needed to hit. And I think they have done it. I think you're absolutely right that Morford Clark has, has, um, done a great turn there, uh, as Galadriel. And yeah. um, I, I think with the world building, I, I can see what you mean that they're, they're kind of moving huge, um, amounts of, of distance to cover yeah. the, this map, you know, effectively uh, of this world. 
which has been made bigger with introducing at least Valinor at the start. Uh, but I think that opening bit was just amazing. And I, I guess being a geographer, I really quite like going, uh, traveling around maps um, and, and seeing the, these new places. Um, in particular for me, the, the Southlands one really, really did jump out in terms of that storyline. Uh, so, uh, I think that's really good in terms of the half foots called Brandyfoot. Yeah, I, I'm. I wouldn't know the law yeah. around that, to be honest. So it's, it's quite difficult, isn't it? With with Professor yeah. Tolkien, a lot of the elements, especially in things like the appendices and footnotes and uh, and um, the descriptions within his his novels, um, a lot of it is about the entomology of words and the entomology of of uh, pe- people's names. Um, so it's quite difficult to straddle the line between how all of these things can be brought into a brand new TV show being based on. A lot of his notes effectively so uh i i understand that there are challenges for people who know those way better than i do uh, yeah. i've read i've read uh the books i've read them a couple of times and i've seen all the movies m- multiple times but um i'm certainly not up on the lore enough i suppose to, yeah no to exactly notice when, same here when a name uh, may not be uh appropriate i suppose but uh but overall i joined the concept of the harfoots uh in yes. uh, in this show but yeah. thanks so much will for your thoughts i want to hear so much more from all of our wonderful uh fellow ringers out there uh watching the lord of the rings the rings of power please uh continue to send in your feedback to us um we are recording hopefully on saturdays uh each week after we've seen the episode so uh we'll hopefully be discussing uh, your thoughts in the future Yes, you can also send f- feedback through our email at feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com. And of course, we are over on Twitter as well at tvpodcastindustries. Um, you can send voicemails through uh, as well to us if you want to hear your thoughts um, and dulcet tones on the podcast as well. Absolutely. Um, so it's been great to share our discussion of um the first two episodes of the rings of power with our fellow ringers we are also covering at the moment marvel's she hulk and the sandman Mm. on netflix as well so if you're interested or watching those those shows please pop on over uh, to tv podcast industries uh, to listen to our podcasts and our thoughts on those two shows as well yeah absolutely with our with our third host chris as well uh, on those shows so uh, so come join us uh, really good fun uh, talking about all the great tv that's out there i can't believe we're living in a, a time in tv where we have the sandman which is effectively the greatest comic book series of all time on tv at the moment we have lord of the rings one of the greatest fantasy books turned into a tv show and we also have house of the dragon the prequel yes. to uh, to um game of thrones on tv at the same time so much stuff and lots more coming yeah including the other fantasy show that we cover which is the wheel of time Time. yes so yes uh we will be back next week with episode Mm -hmm. three of the lord of the rings rings of power uh but until then fellow ringers uh thank you so much for joining us Mm -hmm. it is a pleasure uh, chit-chatting uh, all things Lord of the Rings with you. Thank you. Thanks, John. Excellent. Oh, you met with our listeners. Yes, and you as oh, well. Thank you very much. Yes, uh, always great to be here. <laughs> Thanks so much. Talk to you again next time. Yeah, and remember, fellow ringers, keep watching, keep listening, and keep sailing westwards. Bye. Bye. <laughs>